0: Hi folks, it's Rabbi Sharon Brous here. You are listening to IKAR's podcast where you can hear our sermons from Shabbat and holidays, our guest speakers, our teachers, anything we think worth listening to that we can capture, you can hear right here. Thank you so much for being with us. Well, Shabbat Shalom, folks. My daughter, Eva, um, became bat mitzvah a week after Donald Trump was elected president in the year 2016. Don't eat the tainted grain was my sermon on that Shabbat. Even when the whole world has gone mad, we need to be exactly who we are, but better versions of ourselves. Sammy's bat mitzvah was a couple of years later, one week after the terrorist shooting at the Chabad in Poway. These are our brothers, I said to her. Don't ever forget it. And my son, Levi, as you've heard, became Bar Mitzvah last Shabbat. And I started our services standing up here, naming the challenging context that we find ourselves in, the COVID surge, and my beloved cousin, Nancy, who stands at the edge of life, suffering from cancer in New York, and so many of us holding loved ones who are ill or dying. And I told Levi and I told the community that together we will hold it all, the sacred mix of heartache and holiness of celebration and sorrow. And I really believe that with all my heart, as you know. And even still, it's been hard for me this past week to square what we later found out was unfolding in Texas. Even as we danced, this hostage crisis with Rabbi Charlie Citron Walker and his congregants held at gunpoint for 11 hours fearing for their lives in synagogue on Shabbat morning. Isn't it striking that the parasha that holds the great revelation at Sinai, the Ten Commandments, is called Yitro, after Moshe's father-in-law, identified in the Torah as Kohin Midian, indicating that he's not only not an Israelite, he's actually an idolater. And nevertheless, the parasha that holds the sacred revelation is not called parashat Moshe, it's called Parshad Yitro. This is a really powerful message. And if you haven't already, I encourage you to listen to Rabbi Kasher's podcast called The Best Book Ever, about the best book ever, the Torah. And Rabbi Kasher pointed out just this past week that it's quite extraordinary that we as Jews are called to look for the deepest truth, not only from divine revelation that comes down atop the mountain, not only from Torah, but literally everywhere, from everyone, Jewish and not Jewish. But that's not the only thing that's really remarkable about the fact that this parasha leads with the story of Yitro, a priest from Midian, the father-in-law of Moshe, who met up with the Israelites just as they were preparing to assemble at the foot of Mount Sinai for the divine revelation. Now, sometimes our rabbis, who were such careful readers of the Torah, argue that the events of the Torah were not necessarily recorded chronologically. The narrative thread as it's presented in the text could be a little bit misleading. And now I know this can be a little bit in the weeds. So I'm just asking you to bear with me for a moment. I promise you'll see why I'm sharing this. In this case, some of our rabbis argue that Yitro did not actually come to visit the Israelite camp before the revelation at Sinai, the way it appears in the Torah but actually he came after the revelation at Sinai. So then the question is, so why then would the Torah bury the lead like it does in this story? Before 2 million witnesses, the presence of God descends on the mountaintop amidst thunder and fire, and God spoke into the hearts of every single person present in the voice that they could understand. But first, let me tell you a little story about how Moshe's father-in-law stopped by for a visit and shared some sage advice with his son-in-law about good governance and talked about self-care and they had a meal together and then Yitra went home. It's almost preposterous to tell the story this way, particularly if this is not even how it actually happened. If the revelation at Sinai came first, then the Torah surely should have led with the big story. And yet here, I I once again turn to Ibn Ezra, the biblical commentator, whose explanation is illuminating not only in helping us understand Torah, but also in unpacking some of the events of this past week. Ibn Ezra claims that Yitro's visit to the camp was mentioned here first, before the revelation for one reason. At the end of last week's Torah reading, we heard the horrifying story of Amalek, the tribe that attacked Israel not long after they had crossed the Red Sea, fleeing the Egyptians and fleeing enslavement. Remember Amalek? They differentiated themselves from all the other enemies of Israel for two reasons. One, they attacked us when we were most vulnerable, and two, they attacked the weakest and the most defenseless among us, the children, the elderly, the infirm. As I shared last week, this attack revealed them not only to be heartless, but also cowardly. And it revealed of us our own greatest failure as a people, that we were then, like we are now, somehow willing to leave the very people most in need of our protection and love, exposed and vulnerable to attack. That was how last week's parsha ended. Here's how this one begins. Yitro, the priest of Midian, Moshe's father-in-law, heard everything that God had done for Moshe and Israel, how the Lord, brought Israel out from Egypt. It's the juxtaposition here between Amalek from the end of the last parasha and Yitro at the beginning of this one that is key, according to Ibn Ezra. The Torah wants, he says, to contrast Amalek's evil with the good that Yitro rendered to Israel. So what does that mean for us in this time? What Amalek did to Israel in the desert was evil. It was so evil that we are told to remember it forever surely you will wipe out the memory of Amalek from under the heavens and we don't remember Amalek as ancient history something that happened thousands of years ago in the desert we treat it not as a one time event but as an eternal threat one that we must remain ever vigilant to milhammaladnaiba amalek midor lador this Holy war against Amalek, we must fight it one generation to the next, the Torah says. And have there not been enemies of Israel in nearly every generation? Have we not been expelled or exiled or persecuted or genocided from the time of the Syrian conquest of the kingdom of Israel and the Babylonian captivity? from the Roman expulsions, from Jerusalem, from Medina, and from Mainz, from Bavaria, and from France, from Italy, and England, and Hungary, and Switzerland, and Austria, and Spain, and Sicily, and Portugal, and Germany, and the Pale of Settlement, from Russia, and Iraq, and Yemen, and Egypt, and Algeria, and Libya. Professor Salo Baron, in the 20th century rejected the lachrymose conception of Jewish history, the idea that Jewish history was an endless series of persecutions and sufferings, and even still, it's undeniable that too many chapters of our shared story contain stories of suffering at the hands of enemies who simply could not abide living beside their Jewish neighbors. I say this today because the pain of last Shabbat was not only our fear for Rabbi Charlie Citron Walker and his congregants, the fear that they might not make it out alive. The reason that this attack resonated so deeply across Jewish communities in the United States and around the world is because it touched on core Jewish vulnerabilities because it felt so damn familiar. It's true that in America, there haven't been a lot of these synagogue attacks. Even one is too many, but we know well, how precarious life can be for Jews. And we know the particular peculiar nature of anti semitism that it tends to strike in an instant turning everything we know to be true upside down. That's the nature of Jewish vulnerability. Something that's very hard often for others to understand when they look at our Jewish community and they see so many external signs of privilege and access with our resourced institutions and our networked organizations. And yet we know how vulnerable we truly are. Yes, beware of Amalek, the voices cry out over the generations. Beware of those who will seek to destroy you. They may be eliminationist, they may be utilitarian, either way they will hold the very ideology that drove the terrorists who was invited into that synagogue for tea last Shabbat. This ideology is a toxic anti-Semitic lie It's rooted in the conspiracy theory that Jews hold absolute power, that Jews control media and the banks and government, and yes, even the weather. This is a dangerous ideology. This is a poison in our collective system. And it's an ideology that has not only shown stubborn resilience over time, but reaches across demographic and geographic boundaries. It's the ideology that stands at the heart of white nationalism and the political right that's been fueled under the previous administration from the highest offices. It's the same ideology that to our great shame increasingly manifests in movements for social justice, including inexplicably in anti-racist spaces, the political home for most American Jews. And it is an ideology that has taken root in some quarters of the Muslim community, like it did in the heart of the man who entered Beth El last Shabbat intending to do harm. I know it's very hard for us to talk about this because we all know that there's been a dangerous surge in Islamophobia and violence against Muslims in America over the course of the last couple of years. And we desperately want to avoid contributing to this growing animus and violence against our Muslim brothers and sisters and we should. And yet we have to be honest that we will not eradicate antisemitism nor will we ever build the beloved community until we're honest. We have to root out racism and Islamophobia in our own Jewish community. And we also must root out anti-Semitism wherever it appears, even among our friends and even among other vulnerable groups. Yes, our tradition warns us, remain vigilant for Amalek. He will destroy you if he's given the chance. But Ibn Ezra cannot allow that warning to stand alone. Amalek is a danger, but the even greater danger is convincing ourselves that everyone is Amalek, seeing every threat as an existential threat, seeing every other as an enemy. That is not only self-destructive, it is a lie. So the Torah interrupts the flow of our narrative, inverts the plot line, buries the lead and tells us about Yitro's visit to his son-in-law Moshe before inviting us to the foot of Sinai to hear the divine revelation. Because the message is that urgent, It may even be more urgent than God's utterances from atop the mountain if such a thing can be said. Never forget the danger posed by Amalek, but never forget that there is Yitro here too. Ibn Ezra reminds us of Yitro's abundant goodness toward Israel, the wise counsel that he offered, the priceless wisdom and the moral support. Yitro's impact on the Israelite community is so profound that when it was finally time for him to leave Bnei Yisrael and return home to Midian all the way in the book of Numbers, Moshe begs him to stay, saying, azovotanu, Baby, please don't go, Moshe says. You know us so well. You've been a visionary for us. Yitro was truly a force for good for Bnei Yisrael. And Ibn Ezra seems to be crying out to us through the ages. The world is full of Yitros people who encounter our people on our journey, not as enemies, but as fellow travelers, who have wisdom to share and bread to break with us, who will not align with every decision we make politically, theologically, socially, but who wish us well, who have been and continue to be a source of blessing to our community and to the world. Now, Ibn Ezra was known to be more a rationalist than a moralist. But in this commentary, I hear him issuing a stark and urgent warning to the ages. Beware, lest you find yourself surrounded by Yitros and yet only able to see a Malek at every turn. Ibn Ezra lived in the 12th century in Spain. It was a rupturous time when the Jewish community, which had experienced what was really unprecedented stability and even prosperity, began to experience increasing persecution and repression, which ultimately led to mass exile of the Jews of Spain. And even still, amidst all of the tumult, Ibn Ezra warns us to hold our perspective, to remember that even as we continue to reckon with evil, we have to search for good to be grateful for the kindnesses that are offered to us by strangers, to be present to the wisdom and the virtue and the grace of the other. It's been a really hard week. It's been a painful week. And even as we celebrate today, we hold awareness of the fragility of it all. For just a week ago, a group of Jews gathered just like this on Shabbat morning to offer words of prayers and their lives were nearly taken from them. Rabbi Citron Walker was asked if he heard a tap on the glass window today, if he saw a stranger outside in the cold seeking shelter, would he let him into shul and serve him hot tea once again? And maybe you heard his answer. I have led thousands of services in the congregation. This was the first time that we have ever experienced anything along those lines, he said. So yes, he would let someone in, even now. I would want them to know that they belong here. Hospitality, he said, means the world. Our work today in the aftermath of the latest reminder of our vulnerability is to dance and to celebrate even as we grieve, to hold the joy and to hold the pain and to affirm with every breath who we are in the world and what we stand for, for we are a people that has seen both the worst and the very best of humanity. We are a people that has encountered Amalek again and again, but will not live in fear of Amalek. We will not let terror close our hearts now or ever. We will not allow the acts of individuals to define our relationship with the collective. We will not lapse into dangerous vilification of the other. We will never forget the Yitros who stand beside us shoulder to shoulder now and always, we will work to root out the hatred of the other within our own communities, even as we demand the same of others. And we will continue to dream together of a world in which we all live in safety, in dignity, and justice, and in peace. Shabbat Shalom. Hi, it's Mayim Bialik, actor, neuroscientist, Icar member, and lover of all things Jewish. Do you like what you're listening to? Please consider donating to IKAR so that we can continue creating more podcasts and fulfilling our mission of harnessing untapped energy in the Jewish community to reanimate Jewish life, embody moral courage, nurture the spirit, and work to decipher what it means to be a human being in the world today. Why don't you visit our website at ikar-la.org and give today.